This episode of Market Foolery is supported by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, today at netsuite.com/fool. It's Thursday, June 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analyst Andy Cross and Ron Gross. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, How Mac? are you doing, Mac? I'm Ron? doing good. Doing good. Slack making its Wall Street debut. We'll yep. talk about that. Very exciting. We're also going to talk some Olive Garden and Google. But let's begin with the Fed. On Wednesday, the Federal Reserve signaling that interest rate cuts could be coming as early as June. I say could. On Thursday, the market opening up big. Now, Ron, we are company-focused investors here. We're focused on stocks. How should we think of the Fed and interest rate cuts. You know, it's interesting. Traders are actually now pricing in a 100% chance of a rate cut next month. It's really interesting. That seems high. <laughs> That's about as high as you can get <laughs> without turning it up to 11. Um, but seriously, folks, um, I don't love the fact that the Fed is seeing weakness in the in the economy. Right? That that's not a good thing. Uh, the, the R word recession is is a scary thing. Even slowing growth is a slow is a scary thing. However, I do like that the Fed is on top of this and is going to use certain tools they have in their toolbox to try to combat that. Um, it gets a little scary um, if those tools don't work, but I like to see them being proactive and will do something about that. That's where you see the stock market rallying. Obviously, lower interest rates are better for companies in general, but you're also seeing um, the Fed take action or signal that they're going to take action. So, rather than being fearful, you can be somewhat optimistic. Yeah, it's thinking about this globally, I think Think considering that the U.S. economy, even growing at two percent ish, for a Western economy, is 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 the bright spot. And when you think about more than twelve and a half trillion dollars in sovereign debt out there that has negative interest rates around the world, Mac, just the interest rate environment is so low. And there's, as Ron said about the economy, just not real. I mean, it's doing okay, but it's not just thriving. And the Fed is saying, which is much different, by the way, than what the Fed was thinking a year ago when they were when they were raising rates at at um, their at their meetings during 2018. Now they're saying, hey, we're in a different environment. We're recognizing this. The markets have been pricing this in, maybe not at 100 percent, but certainly over the past couple months, they've been trending to price it out. We still have the the very short term notes selling at higher yields than the 10-year now. So, um, <clears throat> signs that the economy not humming along, and the, the Fed just has this in their toolbox. They continue to, to see that, and maybe now we will see a rate cut in uh, sometime in the next couple months. And guys, Slack making its Wall Street debut on Thursday. Now, this is not your traditional IPO. It's a direct listing. We'll talk about that in a minute. The ticker symbol is W-O-R-K. Nice. Work. Now, Slack, um, for those unfamiliar, is a cloud-based instant messaging type platform for the workplace. We use it here at The Motley Fool. We use it to prep for this show. So, we are big Slack users. But Andy, I want to know about the stock. What about Slack? As an investor, well, it's really interesting. I, it's a, it's a. I think it will be a very. I think it'll be a very well received IPO. Now, as a direct listing, it doesn't have the support of these underwriters. It has, it has um, Merrill Lynch and or Morgan Stanley, and has Goldman Sachs helping to make the company go public. But it's not like they are issuing new shares. So Slack is not benefiting at all. They're they're not they're not getting any money from this. They're not raising any capital from this. They are simply a private company one day and a public company. 
the next with some help with some of those those banks to match up the buyers and sellers. But the company itself is it it has really come on. I mean, just think about how we are using this. The Motley Fool they have more than six hundred thousand total customers. Only about a hundred thousand of those are actually paying. So they have about five hundred thousand who use their free solution that can get you started into Slack. It's a collaborative tool. It's a workplace tool. Stuart Butterfield, who founded the company, who founded also Flickr. Great name. Yeah, it's a great name. And then uh, he and the CTO at Slack, who was also chief. who was also a tech leader at Flickr before it sold out to Yahoo. They had they've co-founded Slack. They're both very involved, and they own a lot of stock. Stuart Butterfield owns probably north of a billion dollars worth, depending on where the shares trade today. But he owns more than 42 million shares. So it has it just when you think about this push towards collaborative tools, collaborative work environments. The so-called SaaS base, so software-driven cloud-based architecture that's helping companies that just work better and more efficiently, including the Motley Fool. But they have loads and loads of customers. Two-thirds of the Fortune 100 are Slack customers, Max. So this is not just some small company. The valuation was probably around 16 billion, and we'll see where the shares trade after today. I do think it will be a successful IPO. I think the demand for the stock will be there. Um, interestingly, the company is still a small company from a, a revenue perspective. Really, a, maybe a hundred and thirty-five million dollars uh, for the, the last quarter in revenue. Um, still not profitable. So we have a, a company trading around thirty-four times trailing, but doubling sales. Revenue sales but, are but, doubling, but the growth is there, and that's what you need to see when you see a company trading at that kind of valuation. So I think it will do well. Interestingly, you'll only probably get about half of the shares available for trading. The six top institutional shareholders control about 60% of the stock. If they're not sellers, then you're not going to see a lot of float out there. Um, so it's going to be interesting um, to see how the supply and demand shake out, and that will, of course, affect the stock price and how it trades. And that's where the direct listing is so fascinating, Mac, because it needs this. It needs the buyers and sellers, as Ron often says. Hey, it takes two to make a trade. Well, yeah. you need the buyers and sellers, and it doesn't have the underwriters to help really um, facilitate that. So, or sorry, they will help manage it, but they're not. Since the company's not issuing new shares, they're really at the whims of the buyers and sellers. And Andy. You mentioned the CEO earlier, Stuart Butterfield. He said in a CNBC interview that companies will phase out email over the next five to seven years. Now, he said that the broader world of email will stick around, will still be around, but that companies will phase out email over the next five to seven years. Is that what has to happen for Slack to succeed? No, it doesn't have to happen. I think email will still have some place in there. And let's just be clear, Slack is focused really on the corporate and the work environment. So they're not really talking about like individual usage. So like, you know, um, the killer app for the text messaging is text messaging with our yeah. iPhones and Google and all that kind of stuff, right? So this is really focused on the work environment. So email may still be around. The volume of email here at the Motley Fool since we've used Slack, I think has fallen by more than half, maybe even two thirds or so. So our volume of email flow has dropped dramatically as we continue to use Slack. I don't think it email needs to vanish. And in fact, Slack has a lot of these. They tie into thousands of different apps and through APIs to be able to coordinate and and partner with different applications, including email. So it doesn't need to happen. But I think he's probably right. The work email flow will dramatically change over the next five years. So for someone though who doesn't know much about Slack or who may not have it and they're Workplace. When when are you using Slack versus email? What what has Slack replaced in terms of email? 
Well, in our preparation for this radio show, I was using Slack, for example, and you kind of went quiet, and all no, of a sudden I was, I was just wondering most where. Of the time. Yeah, you were using it most of the time, but then and you then, switched to email and sent me an email, and, and then, I was waiting for a Slack and response. Then, true or false? You may have been late for our taping. Well, it is that is true, well, but no, I was no, only you, late. No, only late only... because there was no official start time. So you can't be late if there's no start well, let's, time. Let's let's right. not nitpick. Let's not nitpick. <laughs> no, but here Slack is at its best, in my opinion, when it's used for short kind of correspondence. Yep, um, and projects, right? And, uh, no, but that's we're not for projects. I think email is better for projects. Really, so I disagree with continuing you. ongoing threads. Like you when have you go a, to live you, events, you have attachments. You you have things you want to you know keep for long periods of time. Maybe file into folders. I think Slack is better for short bursts. Like all of the software applications, it's not perfect, but I think it is a dramatically improvement. I mean, and by the way, there were lots of other companies trying to do this. Yammer, which I think was bought by maybe Microsoft. And there, there are others who have done this over the years. Slack had built a solution. I mean, it's only been around since 2014, I think. So they build a solution that is integrated. It is cloud first. It is really focused on helping to improve the collaboration. Um, so there are times I think Iran's right. There are times when it's better, and there are times when it's not. Although I, I see it with a lot of the integrations in other software applications getting better. But I agree with Ron. We've talked a lot about this, is that it's really good for like quick hit little communications, knowledge sharing, that kind of thing. If you start getting into more robust conversations, at least from my experience, that's where more conversations really need to happen. Slack can help drive that. And by the way, there's now Slack video and you can Slack call. Yep. So it really is becoming they talk about communications and collaboration yep. when they talk about Slack, and that's really what they're trying to drive. Okay, well, before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks to NetSuite. Now, guys, we know that if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem that growing businesses have, and the thing that really keeps them from knowing their numbers, is this hodgepodge of business systems. You've got a system for accounting, you've got one for sales, you've got one for inventory. What a mess! A nightmare. Yeah, and you know what? It's really inefficient as well, it takes up too much time, sucks up way too many resources, and that's where NetSuite by Oracle comes in. It's the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. Now, Ron and Andy, how do you feel about saving time and saving money? I love both I love of both. those things, yes. Okay, and how do you feel about unneeded and unnecessary headaches. I feel horribly about those things. I don't like those. Things. Okay, so you're against those. Yes. Okay, well, excellent. Because with NetSuite, you save time, you save money, and oh, you save unneeded headaches. Awesome. By managing sales, finance, and accounting orders and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash fool. That's netsuite.com slash fool to download your free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits. netsuite.com slash fool. And for our next story, some better than expected earnings from Darden Restaurant's parent company of the beloved, or in some circles, beloved <laughs> Olive Garden and other restaurant chains. Um, but Ron, we've got revenues and same store sales growth coming in a bit lighter than expected. What's the story here? Yeah, I'm not sure that you're better than expected is, is the proper categorization here. I think 
investors were disappointed with the revenue and their comp store sales. So I think those missed expectations. And Agree I think, to disagree. And I think investors were also um, somewhat disappointed with the guidance for fiscal 2020 going forward. But all in all, it still was a strong report. I mean, you saw sales up four and a half percent, driven by 39 new restaurants, 1.6 increase, um, blended increase in same restaurant sales, strength in Olive Garden, Longhorn Steakhouse, Capital Grill, weakness in Cheddar's, Scratch Kitchen, Yard House, Seasons 52, Bahama Breeze. So you shake those all together, you get a 1.6 percent same restaurant blended sales increase, which is not terrible. Um, I think investors. Wanted to see more there, um, but you know it all. It all kind of worked together to increase earnings per share almost twenty-seven percent. That's a, that's a strong number. They repurchased forty-two million shares of stock, uh, and guidance is fine. And you know it's they're looking for six dollars and thirty cents on the low end uh, for fiscal twenty twenty. Uh, that puts the stock at about eighteen times earnings. Not really that expensive when you look at other restaurants out there that trade more in the low to mid twenty times earnings. Um, they just raised their dividend seventeen percent. You've got a three point one percent yield at the current price. I think the company's doing well. I have a soft spot in my heart for Olive Garden. I haven't been to one in years, but when I was at the University of Michigan, my brother was there as well. Go blue. He took me to an Olive Garden my first week, and I just felt like it was just the greatest experience ever when your older brother takes you to an Olive Garden. I just loaded up on breadsticks and salad, and it was just, it was great. But I haven't been back in forever. Breadsticks yeah. are so good. I mean, they're great. Obviously, our, our Steve Broido, our uh, our beloved man behind the glass for our radio show, is is the biggest fan at the Motley Fool of Olive Garden and continues to be. Loves it, absolutely <laughs> loves it. And Ron, you mentioned the stock, and when I was doing my research before the show, um, trying to find Andy, um, <laughs> it was it was really interesting. Darden has just absolutely crushed the market over the last five years. It's up over three times in value. So Olive Garden's parent company, Darden, doing really well and really outperforming competitors like Brinker and. They've done a great job. Um, perhaps we should give some kudos to activist investors, Starboard Value, who are partly responsible for improving some operations there. And who said what? They were that Olive Garden was giving out too many breadsticks. And, I didn't and, believe. And they should not salt the water because it because because it because it lowers the life lifetime length of the pots and pans they oh, use. Wow. Um, so so little tidbits like that. But yeah, even this year the stock's up fifteen percent, which yeah. is about even with the market, but still very strong. I mean, it's a fifteen billion dollar company. Yeah. So it's not small. Well, in his annual founders letter for parent company Alphabet, Google CEO Sundar Pichai said the company had moved on from its original goal of quote organizing the world's information and is now focused on building quote an even more helpful Google for everyone. Now, this comes as Google and Alphabet is facing increased scrutiny, including reports that the Justice Department may be gearing up for some antitrust investigations. Andy, what do you think of Google 2.0 now more helpful? Well, I think they <laughs> they uh, and and just to be sure, so Sundar wrote this letter and he is um, the president of Google, which is a, is a subsidiary of now Alphabet, which also has lots of other um, businesses tied into. And they made this decision um, f- uh, f- 
few years ago to do this, and he and uh, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, who are the original founders of Alphabet, kind of created the Alphabet structure. Um, so he's written two of these letters, and they've written uh, a couple other ones um, during this time. And I think he laid out a really. I think he had to. Obviously, there's Google Alphabet's a seven hundred and fifty billion dollar company, one of the largest in the world. Um, it touches so many parts of our lives in what we do, and now is under scrutiny from lots of different parts, including internal employees, shareholder bases, for just um, lots of the concerns around the tech privacy and how our data is being usage and what we're seeing on YouTube and the search um, antitrust concerns. But just looking at the subheads of his letter, Mac, I just I, th- I think they're kind of telling. So the subheads of the letter. So the first one: building a more helpful Google, finding trusted, accurate information, building for everyone, keeping users and their data safe and secure, investing in our communities. They've talked about investing more than a billion dollars like in that. home, right? Taking the longer-term view. I don't think anyone ever thought Google took the short-term view. I mean, just from the very beginning when they went public, they always talked about longer-term. And then finally, wrapping it back up with a more helpful Google for the future. So I, I think he laid out the case considering where they are now and what they want to be over the next 10, 20 years. And it's not as much about the organization of the information like it used to be, which is so tied to search. It's really about being more useful to all of us. And just think about what we do on YouTube. We watch videos to figure out whatever it might be, how to fix a toilet or, well, I mean, I don't do that per se, but (laughs) some people do. Um, But like how to tie a bow tie, I use it for that. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And I think that's really what the focus is going to be of the future when it comes to the Google property of Alphabet. I agree. I think letters like this or communications from Facebook, it's it's a sign of the times. It's a sign of the political climate we're in right now, um, which I think is fine, especially if it's to the benefit of shareholders and consumers. I don't like to see companies kind of moving to the whims of the political climate, however. So, I would be careful there. Um, but if if they are truly taking a look at their business and making improvements and and really uh, introspection that will accrue to the benefit of all shareholders, then I think that's great. Well, they can't not do that just because I mean, if people are talking about regulating them as as like monopolies or as um, just to be um, companies that just because we use them so much every day, yeah. I think being able to articulate and you're seeing the same struggle with Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg and his team trying to. Articulate to um, politicians and users and consumers and watchdogs out there, especially over in Europe, where Google has faced a lot of trouble um, over the years and been fined a lot of money. Uh, I think he has to strike a message that is a little bit more like this than what it may have used to been. And Andy, I want to circle back to what you were saying about YouTube because the front page of today's Washington Post, um, one of the headlines: YouTube under investigation over child privacy complaints. And then um, our very own Chris Hill sent me an article earlier today um, that talked about how YouTube is considering moving all of its children's content into a separate product, the already existing standalone YouTube Kids app. And the whole idea there is to better protect young viewers. So I can't decide. I'm I'm a very happy Alphabet Google shareholder. I love YouTube, but I also have kids, and YouTube is the wild, wild west. And you can have parental controls, and you can have filters, but at the end of the day, people are uploading so much content to YouTube that you just get the sense that the algorithms and the company can't keep up. Yeah, I I think that I 
I get the sense that that might be true. Sundar mentioned in his letter that I think one percent of all of the YouTube content is is terrible content, and and ninety nine percent is just you know um, people find valuable in different ways. But, but they find the one percent. Well, they find the one percent, and the one percent is what drives so much of the concerns and the headlines, just like it does with anything else. When the minority of of a volume of stuff drives most most of the conversation, um, so I think Google and Alphabet. Um, trying to figure out how best to structure their properties and their software and develop solutions. I mean, Alphabet has spent um, $22 billion on R&D research and development over the past year. Um, that's that's double what you saw from Apple, or sorry, double what you saw from Facebook, and more than both Microsoft and Apple. Less than Amazon, but more than Microsoft and Apple. So they are spending a lot of effort and resources, mostly around technology, AI, machine learning, to try to figure out so much of this to get right because it is so important to consumers. So like not just the watchdogs, important there too, but consumers, especially in today's world where we are. So um, switching costs are low. Um, we are so in tune with how our technology is being used, how our data and privacy is being used or being abused. So they have to get this right. And I think this this letter to me started to 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 really kind of um, uh, outline more of the thinking around what Alphabet and. Google, which is the largest property, has to become for the future because of the concerns, like you mentioned, with YouTube, Mac. Okay, well, now it is time for our desert island question. And before I hit you with the three stocks we've talked about um, Slack, Darden, and Alphabet, aka Google, I want to let you know that one of our longtime colleagues, um, he, he, he talked to me about this um, last week. He, he passed me in the hall and said, Oh, by the way, I've been listening and I've been thinking about this for two years. And when you ask your desert island question, I don't think that's what you mean. I think you mean deserted island. Uh So, I want to leave it out there for listeners. Marketfoolery at fool.com. Is this the desert island question, or is it the deserted island question? Hmm. And I don't want to—I went down a rabbit hole on Google after he said that. (laughs) And I do want to say that I think a desert island, by definition, is deserted. I just want the dessert island. (laughs) Give me the dessert island. So, I don't know. Do you have strong opinions on Um, desert versus deserted island? So, when you think of like Gilligan's Island, that was a deserted island, which I think is actually what you mean when you ask this question. Well, you know what's interesting? And I'm glad you brought that up, because in my notes, I have the lyric from Gilligan's Island, (laughs) because I know you well. And here's the lyric. You ready? Yeah. The ship set ground on the shore of this uncharted Desert Isle. Drop the mic. Wow. I mean, because desert, we think of like, always think about sand. Yeah, but, but it yeah, was lush. Like, there was palm trees right. all over the I place. It saying, wasn't but a desert. But I, like, I think it's a New desert. Yorker cartoon, like the sand with the one palm yeah, tree. Yeah, right, exactly. But I think a desert island doesn't necessarily have to have sand. Right. I think desert, right. by definition, is deserted. I think they are one and the same, and I think desert packs more of a punch. And so I will see what the listeners say. I take my cue from the listeners. Okay. Please let us know. Okay, so the two questions for listeners, I'm going to add a second. <laughs> is it des- is it my desert island question or my deserted island question? And then a follow up if you really want to weigh in. If someone is on the island 
is it really deserted? Oh, right. exactly. and can the tree we have, falls do, in a forest. Do we Thank have you. two answers to that question? Can they be the same yes, answer of those yes. three stocks? Market foolery at fool.com. These are the what things show this we is. worry about. In today's world, this is what I worry about. Okay, the next five years, you're on an island. It was previously deserted, uninhabited. It may have sand. It may have tropical landscape. I don't know. It's a dumb question. All I do know Mr. is Mr. Mrs. Howell might be there. Exactly. All I know <laughs> is that you're looking at these three stocks, and you have to buy one for the next five years: Slack, Darden, or Alphabet. Uncharacteristically, Mac, I'm going to go with Slack. I think I would like to be a shareholder and own it for quite some time. Wow. So I just see that stock trading now okay. that it's up north of 40. So list price was 26. So it's above 40. But I, I, I agree. So that's up almost 60 percent from that. So I, I still like Slack long term, thinking out five years at least compared to um, the, at least those two companies. Although Darden, very impressive track record. Like, that's a good call. But Matt. yet that's still a restaurant. Well. Still, okay. a still a restaurant. So I'm going with Slack. Both on the desert and deserted island. Absolutely. Both on the desert and the deserted island. Okay. Well, as, as always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Ron, Andy, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mac. Thanks, Mac. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.